Well, let me welcome everyone that's here today. We do have visitors, and we're glad you're here. We have a number of our folks that are away uh, for the holidays, traveling, etc., and uh, please keep them in your prayers. I also want to add to your remembrance list, um, yesterday Miss Maggie uh, lost her brother, lost a son. She lost a nephew, so please keep uh, that family in your prayers. And also, uh, she said that Miss Mamie is out this morning uh, suffering with pink eye and migraine headaches, so remember her as well. Put her on the list. This morning we're going to continue our look at the idea of being holy in my worship, and you can tell that, as I put up here, kind of corresponding to a lesson I had at the beginning of the month that was entitled According to Truth, we're going to talk this morning about the idea of worshiping in spirit, as Jesus said in that passage that James just read for us. So let's talk about that a little bit. I'll put back up here, uh, I hope, yeah, I'll put back up here a reminder of the idea of worship. We asked the question, what is worship? And I hope this slide is going to work. Um, it is not. Edward, i got the same problem. Uh, I don't know why it's doing this every time. But uh, as he comes up here to fix this, I thought when the title didn't show up that the same thing was going on. So uh, as we're talking about worship, remember going back to that idea. You've seen this, this uh, slide before. It is the idea of the word worship. And if you remember, we said that worship is showing respect. It is adoration for someone you consider to be supreme. If we go back to the, the original meaning of the word, our English word worship, it had to do with the idea of literally of kissing toward or even of an animal such as a dog who would lick the hand of his master. Thank you very much, sir, because it is devoted to that master. So, let's put this up quickly. So, to draw a conclusion, as I said, you've seen it before, worship came to have the general meaning, if you're looking at the bottom box here, of one crouching, bowing down, prostrating himself or herself in reverence to a master. And a master that he felt something, and we're going to emphasize that this morning. He felt something toward that master, just as that loving pet feels emotion, it has an emotional attachment to its master, so we do to our master. It's one that's deemed worthy of praise or honor. And so you can easily see why this word came to be what we use in English for the actions we take toward our Master Jesus. Now, as I said, you've seen that before, but let's go further with this idea. The passage James read for us, or if you'll turn in your Bibles back to the book of Deuteronomy, and I want to emphasize again this passage. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, down in verse 12, and let's read verses 12 and 13 and then make a, a parallel to something in the New Testament. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? That question is asked several times in the Old Testament. And over the next couple of months, I'm really going to emphasize some of those passages. What does God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. And here's the idea of reverence or respect toward God. To walk in all His ways. To love Him, notice. And to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's very much similar to the question Jesus answered, Master, what is the first and great commandment? And he quoted from these passages such as Deuteronomy 6 and here in Deuteronomy 10. 
And he said, <coughs> excuse me, the first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God. Now listen to this carefully, as Mark would say. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. Here would be the idea of loving God completely with your soul, with your mind, with your might, with your strength. Everything you have, both in heart and in action, in spirit and in truth. Again, listen to Deuteronomy 10. What does God require of you? Well, He requires that you reverence Him. He requires that you walk in all His ways. He requires that you love Him. And that you serve Him with everything you have. With all your heart, which would be more the idea of feeling or emotion or what's going on inside you. And with all your soul. That is your whole being. Everything about you. And then the actions in verse 13. To keep the commandments of the Lord. That would be the idea of truth. So as Jesus said, to worship in spirit and in truth. To keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command you this day... For your good. So we put up this chart, and I've talked a number of times about it, and I've said worship then must be in spirit and in truth. But you've also seen that I've, I've said or emphasized it's more than a desire. It does require, in the first part of the, or the first of the month, we had a lesson of worship according to truth. It's more than just being sincere. It's more of just than just wanting to serve God. A feeling in your heart that you are serving God. It's more than a desire to serve God. You have to worship in truth. Or as Deuteronomy says here, to keep the commandments, to keep the statutes. But likewise, it is more than a place. And the reason I say a place is because people equate the idea of worship or going to church. And something I'm going to emphasize next month. They equate it with a place. And they focus on the idea of what goes on in the place. For example, if East Orange Church of Christ, quote-unquote, does what's right, okay, then if I go to East Orange Church of Christ, I'm doing what's right. And it's the emphasis on the place and the truth that is conducted within the place, the various things we've done this morning, how we've praised in song or prayer, or the Lord's Supper that we've had, etc. And so the emphasis becomes the place and what they do. Well, it's more than a place. In fact, let's say it like this. Let me explain what I'm doing with this chart for just a second, if you'll indulge me. Anytime you have something that has a fulcrum, the triangle in the middle there, And you may think, I think the easiest thing for all of us to think of would be a seesaw. We all played on that, I'm sure, at one time or another. And if this represented a seesaw with a fulcrum in in the middle, and if we were talking about the Church of Christ, you know how a seesaw works. If you put two kids, one on each end, of the exact same weight, if you can do such a thing, and I'm sure all of us tried that at some point to find somebody of exactly the same weight, that thing will end up balancing, and you'll sit there suspended in midair. But if there's a heavier weight, it begins to tilt. Or, and this is what I'm using it to show, if you push down on one side, the other side naturally elevates up in the air. Now, let me demonstrate what I'm doing with this. Let's suppose we have the Church of Christ, and we're thinking of John 4. This is what often happens in the Church of Christ. 
there is a pushing down of spirit, which lifts up truth. Now notice, it is not that there is necessarily more truth than spirit, but there's a a suppression of it. We don't want a show of emotion, many members of the church. We don't want to see a show of emotion. We, We know that we have emotion, and we know that we see it from time to time, but we'd rather suppress it a little bit because what we're trying to do is to elevate the truth. We want the truth to be <coughs> elevated. We want everyone to know that we stand for the truth. And so what you typically find in, in churches of Christ is you find more truth being demonstrated than spirit. And that is the case unless there has been... <coughs> I can get one good cough. I think I'm going to be fine. But that's typically the case unless there's been a reactionary movement toward emotion. Because what happened maybe 50, 60 years ago is people began to say, you know, what we've got going on here is not more truth than spirit, but rather a suppression of truth, or a suppression of spirit, so that truth is elevated. So that's what you typically see. While in denominational churches... It's just the opposite. Truth is suppressed. We're not as concerned with truth. We're not as concerned with doctrine, etc. And so what we're more concerned with is the spirit. And we will either, we will even suppress truth, sacrifice it in order to have the spirit. We want to feel that reverence toward God. We want to feel that love. We want to show that emotion. And that's what you typically find in denominational churches, again, unless there has been some kind of reactionary push toward doctrine. And I'm not going to get off on a tangent this morning, but if we went back 60 years, 70 years now, and we started looking at the whole fundamentalist movement within denominations, you go home and look that up and see exactly what I mean by that. But that idea of we've got to emphasize at least certain truths. It's okay if we don't emphasize at all, but there's got to be that basic body of truth we do emphasize. But unless there's been something like that, truth will be suppressed while the spirit of things will be elevated. Now, the truth is, the Lord wants neither of those. He does not want us to let's squelch the emotion and elevate the truth, as we find in many churches of Christ. That is not what Jesus said. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And when Jesus answered that question, what is the first and great commandment, and when he quoted, you'll notice that the elements of both spirit and truth are in passages like Deuteronomy 10 that we're open to. And so Jesus does not want a suppression of spirit, but he does not want a suppression of truth. What the Lord wants is exactly that balance between spirit and in truth. True worshipers, as Jesus said, must worship in spirit and in truth. And there must be an equal balance between the two. There has to be an emphasis of spirit. Because Jesus said, true worshipers will worship in spirit. And so, there has to be the emotion. There has to be the sincerity. There has to be the excitement. Now, person might say, okay, I get that. Well, do we get that? Because if we come to a place... And we think that we have worshipped God simply because we've done things according to the truth. We are wrong. Okay? 
If there's no emotion in what I do, there's no excitement in what I do, there's no real sincerity in what I do, I just simply do it according to truth, I have not worshipped God. I am not a true worshiper. And likewise, there's got to be an emphasis of truth. There cannot simply be, I feel it in my heart. When I was growing up, that in that, the denomination that I was part of and became a part of, became a member of, there would be statements made like that. As long as I feel sincere in my heart, then it is right. As long as I feel good about it, it is right. As long as I, quote, get the Spirit, and it was a Pentecostal church, then I know I am right. And there was such an emphasis of spirit, of emotion, sincerity, excitement, that there was little emphasis on truth. And if I think that I'm worshiping God simply because I'm excited about it, or I'm sincere about it, or I'm emotional about it, then I am wrong. Because Jesus said true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. So I will say it like this. It can be neither to be right. In other words, if, there's, if it's tilted one way or tilted the other, it can be neither and be acceptable to God. It must be both. Now, that's hard. Again, put yourself on a seesaw again as a little child. Seesawing back and forth. And that's typically what we think of a seesaw doing. Up, down, up, down, up, down. But typically that's what we end up doing in our worship. Most people. More spirit, less spirit. More spirit, less spirit. More truth, less truth. More truth, less truth. Maintaining the balance is difficult. How many times have I found myself getting all emotional singing a song, but thinking little about the words I'm singing? How many times, on the other hand, have I really thought about the truth that's being preached or that's being followed in the Lord's Supper and have very little excitement or emotion about it? More truth, less truth. More spirit, less spirit. And that's typically what happens with human beings. It can be neither. It must be both. And so as we begin to talk about true worshipers as Jesus discussed them, Let's emphasize this point this morning. I'll stay a little bit on these next two slides because we're going to look at how we worship God. Every act of worship in the Bible is something we give to the Lord. I want you to think about that for a moment. Not something we do for Him, not an act we perform for Him. It is something we do, we give to Him. And that's the way God pictures our worship. Something given to the Lord... And it's given by those who worship Him from the heart, obviously, in spirit and in truth. Let's talk about it. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. If we're thinking about our singing, probably the most often quoted verse would be Ephesians 5 and verse 19 by members of the church when they're talking about worshiping God in music, in song. And you know, as it says there, speaking to yourselves in psalms, Hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, I want you to think about that passage for a moment. We might add Colossians 3 and verse 16, where it would tell us to sing those same type songs with grace in our hearts to the Lord. So I kind of put both of those together, and I said, Melody is made with favor or grace 
in the hearts of Christians. That's the spirit. That's when we're involving the heart. And you'll notice the passages emphasize that. The melody is made in your heart. The idea of singing with favor in your heart. So here's the idea of the spirit, but there is the, the spiritual or the truth side of it. Singing. And they've got to be songs and hymns. And they've got to be spiritual songs. And the idea of a spiritual song is a song that is according to the Holy Spirit, is the idea. According to the Spirit. When we talk of something spiritual in the New Testament. So again, it's got to be truthful. So what am I left with? I've got a song before me. I want to make sure it's doctrinal. Or as we often say, scriptural. I want to make sure that it is teaching the truth. Um... A song that I love, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We sang that uh, the other night, and in, in, uh, on a Wednesday night. And if you look at that song, it is filled with Scripture. The reason I like that song so much is it goes back to the Old Testament, and really some obscure descriptions of Jesus, it emphasizes those. The desire of nations, for example, etc. It takes all of those pictures of Jesus and puts them together in a song. Well, it's scriptural. But, do I simply get excited by the melody that's being sung, etc.? Or do I really think about the words within such a song? Do I think about Jesus and how he is the desire of nations? How he is risen with healing in his wings from the book of Malachi, etc.? So it's the idea of doing something in my heart, but also doing the act itself that is scriptural, that is truthful. Again, you see the balance. Let's go to another one. Look with me, if you will, at 1 Corinthians 11 for a moment. Because I'm going to talk about the Lord's Supper and look at a passage, maybe a, a few verses we don't often read in this passage, but I want to emphasize them this morning. You know that in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 17, Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper. But you'll notice here, as I say on the, on the chart, and, and what I want to emphasize, is that Christians assemble together. Now, here is the heart. Here is the spirit side of things to remember. When Edward was uh, directing our thoughts about the Lord's Supper, he talked about that. The remembering of the body. The remembering of the blood of Jesus. And that's exactly what we do. And obviously, that's going to take place in the mind, in the heart. And there is going to be the worship in spirit there, if indeed we do that. The song that uh, T.J. led, that, uh, uh, you know, that following Jesus and how Jesus carried that cross and it was so heavy and all of that. Hopefully we pictured that and remembered. But you'll notice, Christians assemble together to remember the body and blood of Jesus, but they do eat. They take that action. They eat the Lord's Supper. And as we would often emphasize, if it's going to be the Lord's Supper, it's going to have to be what Jesus said to take and eat. And that is the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, as we see, for example, in Matthew 26, etc. But I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 11 of what can happen to the Lord's Supper. We can take the unleavened bread and know it's scriptural. We're doing this according to truth. We can take the fruit of the vine. We can have the proper order of things where we eulogize the body of Christ and thank God for the body as we take the bread. And the same for the blood or with respect to the blood when we take the fruit of the vine. And it still not be the Lord's Supper. Read together with me, if you will, beginning in verse 20. When Paul said, when you come together into one place, so they are assembled to take the Lord's Supper. 
But he said, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, I can imagine that some receiving that letter would say, well, why not? We've come together, just like we had this morning, and we've got unleavened bread, and we've got fruit of the vine, so what's wrong? Everything. This is not the Lord's Supper. The Lord doesn't recognize it as his memorial supper. He's not accepting it. What is wrong is not the elements. And he will go on to talk about the elements here and the bread and the fruit of the vine or to talk about the body and blood. But the problem is not the elements. The problem is what's going on in the spirit of these people. So let's read it again. He said, when you come together into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Because in eating, everyone takes before the other his own supper. One is hungry. Another is drunken. In other words, one doesn't have any. Another has too much, is the idea. And he said, what? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? This is not a meal. This is a memorial service to Jesus. And he says, or do you despise or disregard the church of God and shame them that do not have? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I don't praise you. I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And that's the part where we began to read. (coughs) But you see... What Paul is emphasizing there is, if you come together and just begin at the unleavened bread and begin at the fruit of the vine and think because you attach association with the body and blood to the fruit of the vine and the bread, you've missed it. You ain't worshiping. Because what's important is before you do that, your heart has to be right. The spirit has to be right. So if I'm sitting there and I'm eating the cracker and I'm drinking the juice and my heart's not in it, my emotion, my sincerity, my excitement, etc., all of those turn, if it's not in my heart, it's worthless. That's what he's saying. And that's why he goes on to say, let every man examine himself and judge himself and not eat, as so often misquoted, It is not that a person would be eating unworthy. My lands, which one of us would be worthy? No, but unworthily. And so the idea is doing it in an unworthy manner or an unworthy way. And that involves what's going on in your heart. And so it's so important that I keep that balance. Difficult, hard to do. But that I maintain that balance between spirit and in truth. Let's go further with the other acts of worship. For example, prayers. You'll notice that Paul says in Ephesians 6 and verse 18, prayers are always made, always praying in the spirit. So is it enough that I pray the right things? No. i got to pray the right things. You know, um, Janice Joplin, almost lost her name. Janice Joplin. Oh, Lordy, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? I know some of you older people remember that. That ain't a scriptural prayer, you know? It is important that I pray the right thing. And it is important that I pray for the right things. That I pray for other people. That I thank God in my prayer. That I praise God in my prayer. But it is also important that I pray in the Spirit. When I was growing up, and I've said this often, I was taught to, quote, say my prayers. I'm sure a lot of you were. 
And my prayer night after night as a little boy was pretty much the same thing. Now, I'll tell you something interesting, and and this may be the case with a lot of you. I don't know, because I don't really go around asking people this. But when someone would come in to tuck me in, and I'd say my prayers, you know, I said, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake. You know that prayer, right? And then when I got to the end of it, like so many kids, I was taught to pray for and and, and I would enumerate people in the family. God bless Daddy and Mama and Nanny and Granddad, my grandmother, and Granddaddy and all these people. And then the adult would leave the room and I'd lay there and I had insomnia even as a little kid, so I'd lay there a long time. And sometimes, especially when I got up several years old, I began to say my own prayers and talk to God. God, I'm scared about this. God, I wonder if this is going to happen. And there were some serious things going on in my life. Now, I thought about it as I got older, you know. I'm not sure if now I lay me down to sleep, reach past the ceiling, you know. Because I really wasn't thinking about it. I mean, no, after you say it two or three years every day, and you know, a thousand times in a row, you just kind of go through it. And you're not really thinking about it unless you make yourself think about it. It was when I thought about it. If I should die before I wake, that was the part that got me. And I start thinking about dying. And I start saying to God, I'm scared. That's the part I think God was listening to. And you know why? Because that's really going on in my heart. Do I take a moment to cleanse my mind, clear my mind, really put my heart into what I'm praying? People have come to me many times over the years and said, I'm not sure what to say in prayer. And if you've asked me that, you know I've given you an answer like this, and it might have caused you to go, what? I've said, it doesn't matter what you say. It really doesn't. Yeah, but I don't know the proper thing. There is no proper thing to say. Oh, there's a proper way to pray God. Don't misunderstand. To reverence God, to, you know, to pray to the Father, etc. All of that is proper. But people aren't talking about that. They're talking about how to put it into words. Because they hear someone lead a prayer that's very good at it and very, you know, very professional almost at they hear someone lead a prayer and then they try to mimic that and copy that that's not what god is looking for god is looking for us to pray in truth scripturally but beyond that god is looking for the heart to be in let's think about for example the preaching i want you to go with me to Acts 16 for a moment you might say well the preaching that's your business (laughs) and and that's true it isn't my business but Whether I'm doing the preaching or whether I'm sitting and listening to the preaching, I need to be worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Now, obviously, if I'm preaching the truth, if I'm the one standing up here and I'm saying it, what I'm saying is either scriptural or not scriptural, and you will either receive it as such or you won't. But there's something more that needs to be taking place. If you look at Acts chapter 16 and you look at the example of Paul preaching to Lydia here, I want you to read carefully with me, just verse 14. There was a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, and notice that she worshipped God. And they found her worshipping. Luke says, she heard us, and whose heart the Lord opened, in that she attended to the things that were spoken of Paul. Now you notice what's going on there. There is worship on the part of Lydia, but there's worship on the part of Lydia because she 
hears what's being preached. She's not busy writing a note or texting or thinking about football this afternoon or what you're going to have for dinner or how long Michael is going to go on before I can get out of here. She's listening to what's being preached. But it's more than that. You'll notice Luke says she didn't just hear it. She attended to it. Now that requires an action. That requires me to do something. And there has to be a process going on inside me to attend to what is being preached. I've got to put forth some effort. And you'll notice the Bible says her heart was opened by God. In that, she attended. There's a precedent there. What that's saying to me is that I'll really get it, and it will really get inside of me and begin to do all those special things that the Word of God can do if I will attend to what I'm hearing. And allow the Lord to open my heart. Worship in spirit and in truth. And finally, our giving. And perhaps one of the easiest ones to see. Because I can either... Well, when I was going to the seminary down in Virginia, we were taught... There were all kinds of classes, as you can imagine, on the tithing and the collection programs and all of that kind of thing. Because a whole lot of the business of the church surrounds the idea of pledges and tithing and all of that that goes on with the members. And I would listen to all of that, and I could see, from a human point of view, I could see all of the things that were being taught and all of the things you do so that you encourage, I would say sometimes manipulate, people to give more. But there was little emphasis on what God actually says. And what God actually says, and you'll notice I said it here, Christians purpose from the heart. I'm going to say what I was taught, and I mean literally taught, to never say from the pulpit. Okay? I want you to hear that. I have been taught to never say this from the pulpit. If you are not going to purpose from the heart, Really put your heart into what you're giving. Don't bother. Because putting $50 or $100 or $5,000 into the plate without first purposing from the heart is absolutely worthless. And God doesn't want it. In fact, when Jesus viewed it, we know this in the book of Mark, and he watched people coming in and filing by the treasury box, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, to lay by in store, literally means to give into the treasury. When Jesus watched that, and he watched people doing that, but with really no purpose, no sense of sacrifice or giving or will to give to the Lord, he said it's useless. You see, all these people, he said to his disciples, they merely give of their abundance and it means nothing. Oh, but there was that widow. She didn't have much. But neither is that the point. Could have been a millionaire that had done the same thing. The point was she gave from the heart. She purposed to give what she had. This is all I've got, but I'm giving it to God. 
There is nothing more important in life to do with what I've got than to give to God. And that's what she did. God wants us to purpose from the heart. And it should be a purposed thing. That's why when I talk to people and I talk about, you know, budgets and financing and all of that kind of thing, I do talk about how, you know, you try to get control of your finances and all of that kind of thing. But I I talk about putting at the top of the list. And I'll even ask people sometimes what ought to go at the top of the list. And you'll get, you know, the mortgage, you know, the college fund or whatever it might be. And I say, no, what should go at the top of the list? Oh, they get, oh, you're a preacher, so I know what's supposed to go at the top of the list. No. God tells us, purpose from the heart, give to me. We say it, don't we? Give a portion of what God has given to us, all of that kind of thing. Edward talked about looking around and seeing how much we have. That should draw from us the sacrifice, the giving. And I should purpose to do that. And nothing then should ever interfere with that. Because nothing in life is more important than that. I need to have a crisis fund. Because the crisis fund doesn't need to be my contribution. It doesn't need to be that I will give X amount of dollars this week unless I have a flat tire, but if I have a flat tire, my crisis fund is my giving. Well, then that's what you purposed. But is that what God is saying? We could go on and on. The point of it is, all of my worship, no matter what it is, has to have that equal balance. I can't have more truth and less spirit, more spirit and less truth. I've got to maintain that balance and worship God in spirit and in truth. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, you believe Jesus is the Son of God and you want Him to be your master, you want to worship Him and give your life and worship to Him. This morning, if you would confess He is the Son of God and you would be willing this morning to... Repent to change your life, to live your life for the Lord, to make these changes that are necessary in your life. If you would be baptized this morning for the forgiveness of your sins, you'll be a child of God. And you begin a life of worship to Him, in spirit and in truth. Please come while we stand.